0: good morning, you're with me, Kevin Stevenson on I Don't Care with me, Kevin Stevenson. Uh, we're on Market Scale Radio every Friday morning at 930 Central, as you know already, and uh, you know, we talk about a lot of different healthcare topics. Uh, I think sometimes I need to remind people of that because you see I don't care and it's like, well, what don't you care about? Well, we do care and we care about healthcare. And other related topics, and so got a really good uh, got a really good guest today. Uh, really looking forward to talking with the co-founder and head of Activate Care, Ted Quinn. Ted, welcome to I Don't Care.
1: Kevin, thanks for having me. It's good to be with you today. Hey, so glad to have you.
0: And, and so Activate Care, I, I like it. well, you guys go straight for the heart of it. You say you are America's community information exchange platform. I really like the confidence. And uh, so, first question. Tell my viewers and listeners, what is a community information exchange platform?
1: So if you look around the country right now, and certainly COVID has kind of exasperated this for for many communities, there's a recognition that many different organizations that deliver care, not only clinical care, but uh, behavioral health, uh, social services and needs, Mm -hmm. are touching the same individuals and families. And they're touching them in different settings with different needs, as you can appreciate. And communities and organizations have began to recognize that as these individuals are touching the same, excuse me, these organizations are touching the same individuals. If we had a better way to coordinate and understand and exchange information about what you're doing and what I'm doing, mm-hmm. our ability to impact outcomes could probably be significantly improved. If it, you know, as we've learned anything over the last couple of years, it's the recognition that so many of the care needs of individuals, particularly individuals with specific challenges and it's compromising circumstances, Touch many organizations and have mm-hmm. a range of needs that are not clinically focused, and so a community information exchange is a platform which enables all of those stakeholders in a community, like a town or a sc- or county, or mm-hmm. sponsored by a payer or delivery system, to come together in a shared space where we can see. You know, we're all touching Ted. If I were one of those individuals, mm-hmm. we're working with him across a range of needs that we've identified. And we should all have a coordinated plan around what we're trying to achieve together, aligned with what Ted or his family wants to see happen in their lives. That's what a community information exchange is. The ability to exchange information with other stakeholders in the community, including the patient and their family, mm-hmm. to drive the outcomes we all want to see.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and I, we've seen that certainly here in Central Texas in the pandemic. We've been a vaccination hub here at my hospital. And so working with so many different, as you said, uh, you know, the local department of health, uh, uh, yes. churches, uh, you know, other healthcare providers. And so, yeah, sometimes communication has been a real challenge on that. And then you throw in, you know, we're very blessed here in, in Waco to have a, a number of not-for-profit organizations that that really work to address social determinants of health, uh, and other uh, critical issues, primarily in the vulnerable and underserved areas. And so, you know, uh, sometimes, We we just forget to talk to each other. And so it's nice to know that we've got somebody like, you know, activate care and you guys uh, to help to help us really coordinate uh, better. So. So what were some of the shortcomings that that, uh, you know, CIE's uh, have potentially that may have been highlighted during the pandemic?
1: That's a great question if you think about all those different types of players, you alluded to a couple of them, right? You have a clinical system, you have community organizations, you have behavior health organizations. Mm -hmm. They often have different terminologies, including schools, right? They have different terminologies. They have different priorities. They have different incentive structures. uh, They have uh, different ways of connecting with the individuals and families. Mm -hmm. Uh, Often you find that, the individuals themselves and those community organizations are kind of tier players in the community. It typically comes down from healthcare from payers and say, we're going to invite you as it makes sense. Right. And not recognize that actually they're already in the community, touching these individuals and communicating with them on a regular basis. You know, here in where I'm in, in new England, you know, we find that a lot of the data around simple information, like um, where does Ted live? (laughs) is not well maintained in a clinical setting, but the school, or the local food pantry, or the housing authority knows exactly where to find Ted and his family on a given day. So if you can mm-hmm. highlight such data information and communicate that in a meaningful way and an appropriate way, you know, with privacy and security considerations at the center, you can have a significant impact on how we better communicate and coordinate with those stakeholders and with Ted individually. Because one of the things we often talk about is, you know, how well aligned is what we're trying to achieve individually with what, you know. once again, if I were the example, that Ted's trying to achieve in his life, his goals, and mm-hmm. as you probably know through your work, if you're trying to drive on something that I'm not aligned to, it's probably not going to happen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. And here it's rates really drop uh, if somebody's not fully engaged. Uh, so, so how does that lack of quality of communication between all the relevant parties, uh, including the patient and their and their family, uh, how does that impact the, their access to healthcare services?
1: It's interesting because, you know, traditionally in healthcare, um, people make, I use that in a traditional terminology, people are making decisions based on directives. I'm a provider organization, you've come to see me, or I've had some exchange in an ED or a clinic, and I'm going to have a set of tests I do and a workflow I execute. And then I send that out and say, here, this clinical activities, the medications, the specific tasks or tests I want to see happen. Well, the reality is, is that, there's a very different terminology and approach in the community. The community kind of is often in the home. They're with the uh, child in the school. Mm-hmm. Uh, they see people on the street uh, in the town center uh, and they have that personal relationship. They know each other. They're seeing them every week. He's, Ted shows up every week to get food. Mm-hmm. I go by the same office, with my housing authority where I'm at. So I have that deep relationship and frankly, in those kind of, Touch points in the community can really provide informed and meaningful data back to the clinical setting to help inform care. Imagine if, you know, if I presented in a clinic in one of your facilities or a facility there where you are, and you could quickly see here are the range of issues that Ted is currently working on, here are the organizations that Ted is currently engaged with, so that when I presented to you in that setting, you could be informed about who it is sitting in front of you and the mm-hmm. key issues that I'm facing, the challenges and therefore informs how you deliver care in the clinical setting to support everything else going on in Ted and with his family. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it makes great sense. Uh, I had an opportunity earlier in the week to talk to a couple of social work uh, students uh, here at at Baylor University uh, here in Waco. uh, And they were talking about a specific neighborhood uh, here in town And, and yeah, I brought up some things that that I don't think they had thought about. I said, you know, tell me what does the housing look like? Is it multifamily? Is it single family? It's almost primarily single family. I said, but here's another consideration. Is it owner occupied or is it a rental? Because oftentimes that provides different challenges. Uh, And so, so just, you know, I appreciate what you're saying because oftentimes, you know, I'm not a clinician. I play one on TV and that's a running joke, (laughs) Uh, but, uh, but, you know oftentimes uh, a provider just doesn't know the nuts and bolts of, of what somebody's facing i mean you know they may live in a house without air conditioning you know, cool. they may live in a house that has uh
1: Whoa.
0: you know they, they might not have, not have indoor plumbing and don't laugh there are still places in texas that's, that, right. you know, yeah. that's the case
1: You're but
0: a but the more information that a provider you know whether it's a clinical provider or a social service organization in town the more information that they have from other sources the better they can address that person's needs.
1: That's correct. I mean, think about if you're, if Ted presents, if, if I'm a patient, I presented a facility there in Baylor. And by the way, shout out to the men's basketball team. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, if, if I present a facility and you say, okay, I want you to go on this medication or I'm a diabetic. Why you to get your insulin? Mm-hmm. But I don't have food in yeah. my home. Uh, it should, I'm not going to. I'm going to choose to eat today. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and, and, and that's so.
0: exactly yeah. You're exactly right, and that's been another area that was identified here uh, in East Waco. It was a food desert, and so one of the local not-for-profits actually built a small uh, market where they're using locally sourced uh, fruits and vegetables, which has been phenomenal because Great. a lot of that, you know, a lot of that food supply. Uh, you know, those growers may have have thrown it out if they couldn't sell it. And so now they're finding another avenue to sell. So, you know, uh, your your information platform is allowing people to to be a lot more efficient in, in meeting the needs throughout the system, which is really cool. So do you see, you know, how do these issues bear out in other developed nations where healthcare is free at the point of service?
1: You know, it's, it's a very, very different model, right? The incentives and the structure, the power dynamic in the states is really centered around the, and it's not a criticism, it's just the reality yeah. that with the payers and the delivery systems that we have in the United States, there's just, the dollars are there and they have significant funding and investment and typically they drive uh, what happens and how reforms happen, interventions happen. Outside the United States, there's a much bigger voice given to those other service providers in the models of care uh, that uh, are deployed around different countries. And so if you look in England or in the uh, the Scandinavian countries or uh, Singapore, right, they have systems where they recognize the community of care and they provide the incentives and the connections to ensure that those services are provided as part of those payment structures, as well as part of the models of care they've stood up. So, um, you know, here in the States we are where we are and there's a reason why people come to the States for care uh, and there are a lot of benefits to our care system, but certainly those are, uh, you know, the models that are being stood up today and over the last couple of years have really tried to reflect a, a recognition that thinking about these other care providers and communities is critical to the outcomes we all want to see.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm probably the biggest free market capitalist you're, you're going to run into, <laughs> but I also see, uh, you know, where we have, where our, as you said, our models of care. Where where that allows for gaps in, in coverage. Case in point, I was talking to an oncologist today about you know what can what can we in our community do better uh, for cancer patients, and he said one of the biggest issues is you know you've got cancer patients looking for uh, you know whether it be post radiation, post chemo, or whatever, maybe looking at therapy, maybe looking at nutrition services, or whatever. And unfortunately, many uh, managed care organizations limit the number of visits if they even uh, allow those visits at all. And so it becomes really frustrating for for those patients where you know they yes. would greatly benefit by that, but because of our model, because we're not we're not reimbursed, we're not incentivized to do that. Those kind of fall by the wayside.
1: That's correct. Yeah, you know? that's correct.
0: Uh, so we mentioned social determinants of health, I, as I was telling you before we went on the air, I've done a number of, of podcasts on, on the social determinants, uh, probably more pre-COVID, just because, you know, COVID, everything happened. Yep. Uh, yep. But, but let's talk about, you know, how, what, what kind of social inequities have been magnified by the pandemic, and how are they correlating with community-wide health issues?
1: That's a great question. If you think about, I mentioned, alluded to a little bit, there's just been an interesting power dynamic between the traditional kind of healthcare system, payers and delivery systems. Mm-hmm. And with COVID, it really amplified with the economic impact, the job losses, all those issues. Yeah. You know, the the needs and the, and the requests for services have just gone through the roof. And so the reality is, is that the supply has gone through the roof and the demand is not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so as people have been presenting this, sense of equality and recognition of that power dynamic has only been amplified yeah as a community-based organization i've been doing this work for decades and now to have it you know amplified in terms of the needs that are need to be fulfilled or as well as the models that are being stood up trying to recognize this and trying to medicalize it there's been a lot of tension that's been exacerbated between the two if you will communities traditional healthcare and the community-based organizations that are more mm-hmm. mission driven and funded by you know, <laughs> by the skin of their teeth. And so this power dynamic has really been amplified as the demand for services and needs have only gone through the roof. And it's only kind of further highlighted and turned a, um, a real light on the, the challenge even more. I think it's gonna be, we're gonna look back at the last year or two and look forward a year, it's in five or six years and say, but what really happened there? And I think yeah. what we're gonna find is that if COVID did anything, it showed a lot of these gaps in our care models And what were challenging communication models before were only amplified as the range of needs that individuals and families faced, uh, particularly in in more uh, high needs communities, just went through the roof. And so if we learn anything from COVID, it's that we've really seen the shortcomings of the care in the country, and we've got to look at incentives and those models and, you know, technology is only one component, right? How do you think about differences mm-hmm. in terminology and data sharing and the infrastructure that's required? And when I say infrastructure, it's not technology. It's what is the shared language and terminology and agreements, which enables us to stand up these models. And that's really been been brought into focus.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you. Hey, you said you were in New England. Tell me a little bit about, you know, We're having a real issue here with behavioral health services. Talk to me a little bit about what you're seeing up in your area and how how is Activate Care and your platforms really trying to tie in uh, to the behavioral health community?
1: You know, it's it's, uh, a lot of people for many years have just suffered in silence. Mm -hmm. And that hasn't changed. As a matter of fact, anxiety and depression, I mean, you've read – uh, and seeing and the data is pretty prevalent about abuse and anxiety and depression across the country, particularly over the last year, where people have been left in spaces or confined to spaces or in relationships, if you will, that have really pronounced that problem. And that's, that's a big problem to tackle. But there's a the recognition that lightweight applications can help. For example, where there's partners that we work with where you basically are able to extend things like assessments or abilities for local providers to do simple screenings with their local physicians and then based on the scoring of those screenings, send them to medical centers where in those centers they can access the professionals much more efficiently. It's really trying trying to better understand what is the job and what is the experience that people need to move along that journey, right? Traditionally, I would worry that I have an issue. I might go to my primary care physician or send my kids to go with my kids to a pediatrician, and they would assess and screen and maybe try medications or try other kinds of therapies. And then after a period of time, they would then say, well, I maybe we need to send you to a medical center or to see some specialists for behavioral health-related issues. And then at that point, you're kind of waiting on a referral for a provider <laughs> to another provider to get in the system right. and check in your insurance versus um, let's provide a lightweight way for you to have a simple assessment and based on the evidence-based assessment, we can quickly evaluate not only me as a primary care physician or pediatrician, but also in the in the medical center with the specialist to say, this is somebody that uh, has issues in this range or epilepsy or whatever it might be that enables you to understand what is the experience that that individual needs to have such that they feel like they're, um, it's not just the technology. It's like, I understand the progress you want to make, mm-hmm. how we make progress around your mission, i.e. Providing this care and service, and, and that's the job we need to do. And what we're trying to do, just as an example.
0: Yeah, and that's a great example. You know, here in Central Texas, you know, when when COVID hit, and you know, we ha- we have our own behavioral health hospital here that's associated w- with uh, with my local system, and uh, we have a you know very very active uh, practice there. Uh, but what happened was the other resources in the community uh, really shut down. Uh, mm-hmm. The local law enforcement stopped, uh, stopped uh, picking up uh, behavioral health uh, uh, p- folks uh, and taking them into the jail system. We would see them come through our ED. And so we've mm-hmm. seen our behavioral health component in our emergency department just explode And yet we don't have placement for uh, so many of these people uh, outside of our own facility that's typically full. You know, so I see a CIE being a a great resource for the community in, in sharing the information on where can I get, like you said, like an assessment or, you know, just basic, you know, just a basic counseling session or something
1: like that. Yes, yes, it's truly understanding the experience. You you have to meet people where they are, understand how they're trying to make progress in their lives and say, how do I tailor that experience, that care model, such that we meet that need in the most efficient and scalable way as possible. That's what a CAA is trying to achieve.
0: Yeah, very good. So, you know, we're talking about social determinants of health and, and inequities and things like that. So in your opinion, what structural changes need to be implemented implemented in our current healthcare ecosystem,
1: you know, where do communication
0: and collaboration platforms really fit into that, that change?
1: I I think there are three things. I think the first is just recognizing the incentive structure. Mm -hmm. You alluded to this a little bit earlier. Um, What are the meaningful changes, right? I'm I'm a free marketer too, but what, what what are the meaningful changes that recognize care delivery and the impact of community care on the overall cost of care? And recognizing that change in the structure of those incentives, I think, is, is an important discussion to have. Regardless of where you sit on the political spectrum, I think we all can agree that the care models and many of the models we have in the country just aren't working. They're going to bankrupt the country. So we, we, we've got to try and test things differently. That's one. The second thing is, I really think we need to, need to do a better job of amplifying the voice of community care organizations and their patients. As I mentioned earlier, they tend to be tier two p- p- participants in the models of care. They're basically a, a payer or a hospital purchases a system and tells them, you will use this system. And without recognizing the fact that they've been doing this work for years, they've been lifting and doing the heavy lifting. And they just want the voice, the kind of a tier one voice at the table, along with their members to say, how do we make this happen? And how do we support this? And then third is just to recognize that there's a, it's more than technology. We refer to it sometimes as venture structure or services, but there's meaningful work as you redesign these models of care. And it doesn't have to be complicated, right? If if everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. You can make simple steps and implement simple changes to how people communicate and engage in coordination that have long and lasting impacts. We we were, I was just on a call with one of our partners and they basically have been doing this, we've been doing this in the last three years where basically it was a community that said, we're gonna focus on housing and complex mm-hmm. health. That's it. We can't, we can't take yeah. it. We can't believe it that we'll believe we'll move, we'll move the needle on those two issues. And we believe if we do that, it'll ripple across all the other needs that they have. And once they did that with the uh, jail release system and the, and the corrective system, with the housing authority, with behavioral authority, with the police department, Once they had those teams together, then they invited healthcare to the table (laughs) and they said with all the work we're doing, would this be valuable data for you to have with appropriate permissions and sharing so you can see what work is happening around these individuals and the impact has been incredible in terms of getting them housed, reducing the impact on the utilization of public services and the utilization of the medical resources, which are often so expensive. So. These models work. They just have to be done in a targeted way and build from there.
0: Huh. Very interesting. So so there's a term that's, that's being bounced around called uh, uh, whole person care. So what does that mean to you?
1: It's a recognition that um, most of our care <laughs> comes in the community mm-hmm. and recognizes that many of the stakeholders that are touching individuals and families are not clinical care providers. And that's not a criticism than at all. It's just a recognition that most of the interactions that people happen are happening in their community. And we have to either just wrap around services or whole person care or community information exchanges, set up models of care where we focus on the high needs against a specific population and drive against the outcomes we want to see. We will sometimes use the phrase Do we understand well the the pain point and the p-a-i-n means something the p is what's the population the Mm -hmm. a is what is the adversity or challenge you're trying to tackle the i is what is the intervention either evidence-based or promising practices and then n is what is the network of service providers or data elements you need to bring together Mm -hmm. to drive against what they're trying to achieve as an outcome And if you can define those things quickly as part of these models it helps you really focus and get the community aligned and engaged.
0: Boy, I'm going to have to steal that acronym. I'm telling you now, Ted. <laughs> I really like that. Uh, yeah, and, and a good example of that, uh, my wife was a special education teacher for a few years. I was career number four for her. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and it was amazing to me the amount of healthcare that was being delivered in a school setting. Yes, you know, you know most people don't even think about that but yes. but you know some of these kids were getting the vast majority of their health care inside the school
1: that's right that's right um, right so where do they get where do they get their meals where do they get assessed where do they see a nurse yeah where could where's who provide data back to the clinical sending or back to other community resources to support the families schools are central oh no, by the way they see the family individual Almost every day. <laughs> yeah, <You
0: know>? yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, so in the last few minutes that we that we have, uh, talk a little bit about your Care Hub platform, if you will, um, and, uh, and and give us a give us a good word on on what we're looking like in the future.
1: Okay, so um, for us, we, as I mentioned, one of the components of our solution is what we call a Care Hub. Mm-hmm. You know, we describe it as a shared space. It's where uh, simple activities and tasks can happen. Uh, it's often funder- focused around a specific intervention. We often think about a workflow from the perspective of you know, how are we going to enroll people in a program? What does the intake process look like? Sometimes it's an interview or an assessment or a screen. Once they've done that assessment or evaluation of the intake, then that kind of generates a care plan, right? This is a set of activities and tasks, the teams, the different individuals and stakeholders are going to touch them. Uh, how do we kind of follow up and refer and do the activities of care through a process, an intervention? And then on the back side, how do we achieve a milestone or graduate or, or set a meaningful goal? That's a process that we instantiate as part of a care hub. Now there's services around that. There's data and reporting analytics to really be able to demonstrate actually how care happens, right? You can think about a process. Um, I, uh, I was thinking or reflecting back on something I heard a little while ago from, I think it was Demi, who said, if you can't describe what you're trying to do as a process, then you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so understanding that a care hub helps you bring process structure and a shared space where people can make that happen. I fundamentally believe that if you look out five years, you're going to see most areas in the country have these types of models stood up. Mm-hmm. I think that the current administration is going to push for this. I think that one of the um, uh, one of the things we're seeing is the recognition that testing these models is going to be central. I don't have any inside information or promoting. I'm just saying I think you're going to see that pronounced and promoted as a as a thing to test. And I think five, in five mm-hmm. years you're going to see that many of these vulnerable populations or high needs populations are going to be cared for very differently than mm-hmm. they are today. And as you probably know, different states are testing different models right. as you try to stand this up. And I think. We're going to see some interesting results through that work.
0: Very good. Well Ted, this has been fascinating you know, and uh, bless you for, for doing something that we all need to do better and that's, that's helping people communicate and connect. Uh, you know, again, particularly, you know, sometimes we in healthcare, we want to fix things. We want to <laughs> fix it, you know, fix it all ourselves. But there's a lot of other people out there who could be just uh, who are great resources for, for various issues. And really the the highlight on social determinants of health and how that really and truly does affect that whole person in their care uh, is something that we all need to be reminded of uh, much more often. So Activate Care's uh, co-founder and CEO, Ted Quinn, thanks for joining me here on I Don't Care today.
1: Thank you, Kevin. Great to meet you. Have a great day.
0: It's been a a real pleasure. And so viewers and and listeners, uh, another great day here on I Don't Care. Uh, we are so happy that you uh, joined us today. I hope that you come back uh, every week, as I said in the beginning, 9.30 uh, on every Friday morning. Uh, that's 9.30 central time, marketscale.com, market scale radio. Uh, and if you miss the live show, you can always download us on Spotify or iTunes. And I'll close today like I always do. If you haven't subscribed to I Don't Care with Kevin Stevenson, Why not with that? Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. Take care.